ladies, gentlemen, everyone listening, could you believe that we've reached episode 25? We're a quarter of the way to 100. Holy crap, who would have saw that coming? I certainly didn't. My name is Tom Bauer, and I'm joined by my co-producer and co-host of the Diamond Duo podcast, Tony Puglisi. We're here to recap the past week of the MLB season and tell you what's in store for the future. This show is brought to you by my last name, Bauer because I'm not the piece of shit version that got suspended 100, 324 games. And by the way, for anyone listening for the first time, no, I am not related. Uh, I, was, I was wondering how long it would take for that to come up. I thought we'd get to major headlines, <laughs> but no, just right off the rip. I don't know this guy. I'm not related. The last name is misleading. <laughs> yeah, after that headline, I instantly like knew... I got to throw this in the beginning of the episode. I am not leading people on at all. And I don't want any <laughs> flack for the show at all. And being like, this Bauer sucks. Da, 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 da. Yeah, we, we don't need that to happen. In the most Brooklyn accent possible. And it sucks too, because you could wear like the Bauer for Commissioner shirt he used to have and be like, yeah, me, me for Commissioner. But now if you <laughs> yeah. go around wearing that, it's it looks a little sus. And, if, and I don't know if you'll have time to explain. Huh, it's me, guys. It's me. I'm Bauer. Not the other one. Here's my ID. Here's my social security number. Look me up. I am definitely a Bauer. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the show, by the way, if you're tuning oh, yeah. in for the first time. I'm hoping we didn't tune you out at all. <laughs> we will get into better news. We will be talking Bauer, of course, um, in a little bit more detail in just a couple of minutes. But let's get some things straight. We are recording this at 9 p.m. on May 1st, Sunday. May 1st. I can't believe it's May already. We're already a month into baseball. Not a full month yet because technically the lockout delayed the season by a week. So long story short, if anything happens after when we are recording, it will not be covered in the episode unless editor Tom or editor Tony say so. Also, go follow us on social media at the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. We will be posting show updates, creative content, and graphics to display things that happen during the show, including something that's going to happen later in the show. You probably already know if you saw the title of the show, we're doing Teams of the Month later, so that will be a graphic in itself. Go vote and tell me that Tom Bauer's team is better than Tony Puglisi's team. I've got a 2-0 advantage in that department. But with that being said, Tony's shaking his head no. Nope. So I'm Mm-mm. I'm just going to blow past the subject and get on with the actual episode. <laughs> you're so blowing past we... it because you know your streak's going to end tonight, bucko. Well, you think it's going to end tonight. I mean, I'm already on the winning streak against you, technically. If you want to bring up fantasy last week, I'm 3-0 <laughs> against you. So, I mean... Hey, we play each other again. Don't count me out. Don't call it a comeback because it's coming. Yeah, we'll see. My team's about to be 3-0, and and you're about to be hopefully 1-2. and two. I'm actually going to be 2-1. and one. So, who knows? We're going to face each other in the playoffs, and it's going to be just an entire episode talking about that. That's going to be epic. We're going to have to, like, go on the social media war, like, against each other and use the page as, like, a battleground. That would be funny. That but, would be uh, funny. any rate, let's get on with the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So normally, we would kick off a show like this with a an extended segment of Around the Horn, just talking about the hottest teams and the not-so-hottest teams around MLB. But as Tom alluded to, and as you very likely saw in the title of this episode, 
We're going to be doing Teams of the Month later, and we anticipate that's going to take quite a bit of time, so we're going to do a truncated version of Around the Horn. And by truncated, I mean real, real short. We're going to spend no more than maybe two minutes on, if not the whole segment, then each, the hots and the knots. So, just real quick, the way this is going to work, I'm going to tackle the hot teams, Tom is going to tackle the not teams. We have four listed for each, and I'm going to get this kicked off right away to talk about the hot teams. Let's kick this off right from the West Coast with the LA Angels that have rattled off an impressive 7-3 in their last 10. They are in first place in the AL West, and it's fueled by uh, little-known stars of the game like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And actual under-the-radar guy, Taylor Ward, but trust me, that dude's breakout, if it keeps going, will talk about him again some other time because this kid looks legit next up we're going back over to the east but down south to south beach it's the marlins yes folks the marlins are a good baseball team they're eight and two in their last 10 somehow and they had a seven game win streak broken today by logan gilbert and the red hot mariners but miami they're hitting for once and their pitching is as good as ever not much to say they're playing really complete baseball right now hey you know who else is playing really complete baseball Shocker to the world, the New York Yankees. They have the longest current win streak in MLB, I believe on the season as a whole so far, with nine in a row. Yes, they've been beating up on bad teams, but what do you want them to do, lose to them? That's what they did against the Orioles one time, and they said, you know what, we don't want to do that anymore. And a lot like the Marlins, it's just a lot of everything going well. Anthony Rizzo has morphed into Barry Bonds, Garrett Cole looks like Garrett Cole again, and Aaron Boone is not making any more gaffes with the lineups. It's amazing what I'm saying about the Yankees right now. I'm very ecstatic. And last, but most certainly not least, a team I definitely wrote off at the top of their division, the Minnesota Twins, who are 9-2. and one in their last 10. They, like I said, first place in the AL Central, absolutely taking advantage. Byron Buxton's healthy and he is hot. Their pitching staff is surprisingly really, really good. I want to highlight Joe Ryan. Go look at his stats. I rattle them off right now, but I'd be there all day. I love Joe Ryan this year. And the bullpen's really kicked itself into shape, so good job, Minnesota. You are blowing expectations out of the water. Now, just do us a favor. Don't get into October unless you actually plan to win this time. Let's move on to the teams that are not. Now, question, at this point in the season, if I had to go back a month ago and say the Red Sox are only one game better than the Baltimore Orioles at the end of April, I think I would throw something at myself in disbelief. Like, I would try and injure myself because I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you, future self? Like, go, go back to where you came from. Like, get the hell out of here. I'd kind of give myself the door. Well, that's the case with the Red Sox. They're 9-14 and 14 right now, and they are 3-7 and seven in their last 10, including a two-game losing streak to the Orioles, nonetheless, partially because they don't know how to throw the ball to third base. Uh, moving on, who would have predicted that the AL Central would be the worst division in baseball? I couldn't see that coming from a mile away. Well, even if you did see that coming, you probably wouldn't believe that the White Sox and the Tigers are two of the worst teams in that division right now. The White Sox are 8-13, and 13, even though they do have injury issues. I can't excuse a 2-8 and eight record over their last 10. They're too talented to not be better than this. And then the Tigers just flat out look bad. They're not clicking on any of their cylinders really yet. They're 7-14 and 14 on the year, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Just not looking good, but hopefully they'll pick it up soon because they're a team that everybody is literally going to be rooting for. But as Javi Baez put it bluntly when he signed with the Tigers... I'm here to win in the future. Give us some time. We're not going to win right away. Okay, now time for one more team, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but when that dead horse literally has 
three wins. Three. Count them on your fingers. Uno, dos, tres. If you need to do it in another language, well, I don't know another language except English and Spanish how to do it. But three wins for the Cincinnati Reds in the calendar month of April. That's a joke. Not really a joke. Just their franchise is a joke. Three and 19. Better yet, they have a minus 65 run differential on the year. Just how bad do you think that is? Oh my god. They're one and nine in their last 10 and have somehow gone on another losing streak, this time at six games. Jesus Christ. They're just depressing to watch. I'm sorry if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan. Oh my god, I think that's putting it lightly at this point, because you look at the box course of some of these games, they're not even competing. Oh my god, and you want to feel for Tommy Pham? Uh, you really do? Guy wanted to go on a revenge tour this year? And of course, TikTok sensation Joey Votto? Who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe one time, Reds, maybe one time you won't appear in Around the Horn in the not segment, but huh. until you that know, take I think, comes, yeah, what's that? I think, Tom, I think Tommy Pham could literally get more wins in his fight club against Luke Voigt than the Reds do on this year. <laughs> Like, it's we debated three. that last week, but I think yeah. that's a fact at this rate. He would not go 3-19 and 19 against Void. No. Something tells me with Void on IL, yeah, no. I think Fam has a better shot there than on the diamond. But that's it for our Around the Horn segment, folks. I was not kidding when I said this was truncated because we got teams of the month to get to, and we actually have quite a few stories to tackle. So why don't we jump right into that, and let's just rip the band-aid off, talk about the one we alluded to right at the beginning of the show, and talk about a pretty sour chapter of Dodgers history, and I suppose just baseball history as a whole that's coming to a close now, because uh, if you were unaware of the situation, a uh, disgraced pitcher... Trevor Bauer has been on administrative leave for something very, very heinous, very, very horrible for a while now. Like, quite frankly, I don't even remember how long it's been. So it was, it's got to be about a year now since he was officially put on it. And some folks anticipated, okay, you know, maybe this year he either just, you know, receives a suspension and makes a comeback either this year or sometime next year. Well, throw that idea out the window, folks, because Papa Manfred has dished upon Trevor Bauer the longest non-lifetime ban suspension in MLB history, spanning two full MLB seasons, 324 games total, and the games he already missed being on administrative leave do not count. I believe he missed 99 games, but starting now, that two-season timer is going to go. He missed 111 games on leave, not 99. Ah, so okay. technically, if you want to total it all together, he's been out for what will end up being a total of 435 games. But again, that, that doesn't count. Only the 324 counts because now he's not getting paid when he was on administrative leave. I believe he was getting compensated in some regard. I don't know how much, if it was his full salary, if that was truncated. I don't know, but that's just the case right now. Okay, yeah. Let, let, let's not look to the future of this. Let's look at this situation as a whole, because, Tom, when you sent that to the group chat, my first thought was, that is a comically long suspension. Now, even before getting into what actually transpired, because if you don't know, the former holder of longest suspension in MLB history was A-Rod, and he got one full season, and that was for all the steroid as you could probably gander. But you also have to understand... A-Rod and the league had a lot of friction going between them. If you remember, A-Rod's team, I think A-Rod Corp and the Department of Investigations under MLB, they did some pretty shady shit 
They bordered on straight up illegal tactics to get a leg up on one another. So, the Department of Investigations is already not one for, let's say they're not above spiting folks who have spited them in the past. But when looking at Trevor Bauer's situation, it's also really hard to have sympathy for him. Like, wouldn't you say, Tom? Like, it's insanely hard. I have no sympathy for him. Exactly. The way he's treating it, just, he trying to maintain his innocence and all, but there's not really a sliver of proof that I can see right now to where he's innocent in really any regard. Clearly, he did something that was not, let's say, average of somebody to do. And I think part of the reason why he got more games is apparently there was another accuser that came out over this past week. Because 324 games, nobody, in, with domestic violence, no one's been suspended, I think, more than 60 games in the past. We're talking, think of Jose Reyes, think of Marcel Ozuna. They're back. They got back in baseball. I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to be making a return in baseball after two full seasons. Because one of what's going on, and two... I don't know how well-liked he really was in clubhouses to begin with. There were some people who didn't even really want him in their clubhouses, I believe, in L.A. to start. So he's kind of already got this established persona as a clubhouse cancer. I'm just trying to break this all down, and I, I, we, we don't know something that the MLB knows, because why would they give him two full seasons— when nobody else has gotten more than 60 games. Maybe it's because he took it a step further and there was multiple accusers. So maybe they're combining instances or maybe they're just kind of punishing him for kind of making this look like a circus for the league already and they're just throwing him out the window for two years to say, we're not going to have a circus for two more years. Goodbye. Now, he's appealing this and he's probably going to bring some sort of legal grounds into it. I know when he was in court initially, I believe it was a no contest or he wasn't found guilty because the jury couldn't find enough evidence to put him in guilt or maybe there was trouble with the jury. I don't really know the case. So he wasn't guilty in a court of law yet. It's just an utter mess. I mean, shame on Trevor Bauer. Like, again, it's just a complicated mess. And we're not going to get a resolution to this anytime soon. No, we're definitely not going to get any any sense of resolution in this, especially considering how secretive MLB can be with these types of things. Uh, especially for a guy who's been clowning on Manfred for years and years upon end. Obviously, that's not his most egregious crime. Yeah, absolutely deplorable what's happened with Trevor Bauer. It's a terrible look for the league. And for what it's worth, Tom, like you said, it's a load off the Dodgers' mind because quite... I. From what I remember in reports, no Dodgers liked him. They all unfollowed him the second he got put on administrative leave, so they know. They know. It's not just he was like, oh, the likable heel. He was a prick. Everyone knew he was a prick. So if everything that MLB has suspended him for is actually true, then f*** him. No remorse. Y you can't do that kind of sh and just get away with it. It's horrible. Again, obviously, if you couldn't tell, we're not going into exactly what he got suspended for because, <laughs> no. If you'd like to understand the full story for yourself, trust me, you could find it everywhere. Just, obviously, fair warning, the acts are... They're, they're pretty deplorable. If they all are 100% true and factual, then it's, it's, it's a tough read. But, 
moving from this topic, which is <laughs> bar none the most, the darkest on this show, let's go to one of the lighter, actually two light ones right in a row. Uh, I'm actually going to leave out to the next one because I think this one's more important. We're going to stay in Dodger Town, but we're going to talk about one of the most revered men to ever wear Dodger blue, and that's Clayton Kershaw, who just recently, I believe it was last night, set the record for most Ks by a Dodgers pitcher. He struck out Spencer Torkelson to collect strikeout number 2,697 to pass Dodger legend Don Sutton. He ended the night with 2,700 on the dot. So, Tom, it's pretty ironic. We talked about Miguel Cabrera. I think it was just last week getting 3,000 hits. <laughs> and already we're we, we're in May today, and we already have another record to talk about this time with Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, now I would I would like to throw out there, I think 3,000 hits. I mean, I don't want to say it's rare a company and more of an accomplishment because obviously owning a franchise record as historic as the Dodgers is its thing on its own, but he hasn't reached 3,000 strikeouts yet. Uh, that being said, I feel bad for kind of clowning on that now. Uh, granted, given that the career that Clayton Kershaw's had as one of the greatest left-handed and one of the greatest pitchers of all time in MLB's history. But, I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment to pass uh, the great Don Sutton to get the record. I mean, this is a guy who hopefully will be a Dodger for life. At this rate, he's 34. He's got that one-year contract. I honestly don't know if he's going to even come back for another year maybe this year he's gonna walk into the sunset after this year we just don't know i mean now he's about 300 strikeouts away from 3,000. so theoretically i would say he could play at least two or three more years and he could reach that record um now considering the covid shortened year kind of put a damper in things and his strikeout numbers have been going down ever since he hit the 301 plateau in 2015. I don't know how quickly he'll be able to accomplish that. He's certainly not going to reach it this year by any means. Maybe he can make some good progress on it, but I mean, nonetheless, it's a marvelous accomplishment by Clayton Kershaw. Just kudos to him. Congrats to Kershaw for getting 2,700 career strikeouts. You pretty much took the words out of my mouth when you started the segment with the long history of the Dodgers. Like, honestly, Going into the season, I almost forgot he was that close, just because I figured Don Sutton was head and heads and shoulders above him. I don't know, for some reason I thought he had 3,000 strikeouts, but what do you know? Now it's Kershaw, and I think that plays into the fact that, do you think Clayton Kershaw, I, I kind of want to get your feet on this really quick, do you think Kershaw is the best pitcher in Dodgers history? That's a tough sell. Because you have to imagine, even though his career was short, you had Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, obviously a name you can't forget. Even Fernando Valenzuela, I don't even though I don't think he's number one. Even he's a name that most people forget about in his peak. Yeah, I, I would even throw Oral Hershiser on that list just because of the greatness he did in the postseason for them. Uh, Clayton mm -hmm. Kershaw, I think, is the closest thing to the best they're going to get. I still got to give the nod to Sandy. Like, I think they're both kind of up there in terms of success, at least regular season, and setting records and being among the top tier of MLB pitchers during Guerrera, but given the postseason success of the Dodgers, which isn't necessarily Clayton's fault, given how the league has been, but his postseason performances in the past, I mean, let me look at his postseason ERA. It's 419 on his career, which isn't pretty. It's not bad, but it, it's not great either. I mean, I'm just looking at some of his other postseasons, and they don't have great numbers. 
I mean, let me let me compare him to Sandy Koufax real quickly, because if I'm picking the greatest Dodgers pitcher of all time, it's going to be Sandy Koufax or Clayton Kershaw in my mind. And honestly, I think I'm lean, I'm leaning with Sandy, I think. I will tell you, Sandy in four series in the postseason has a .95 ERA. Wow. That is in, I believe, seven games. Yeah, seven games started. Uh, four of them were complete games, by the way. Um <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, in the 1965 World Series, when he won World Series MVP, by the way, he had a championship win probability added, which it's exactly what it sounds like. It's how much percentage you put towards your team winning the championship. 70.4. This man was 70% possible of the uh, for the Dodgers winning the World Series. One guy, and he started two games. Excuse me, three games. That, that's why I say Sandy's the best like in Dodgers history, because of the success he did. Also, he has multiple triple crowns that Clayton Kershaw has won. They also match on Cy Young and MVP total. They both have three Cy Youngs and one MVP. You can argue Sandy could have gotten possibly many more, or at least a couple more in each department had he played past the age of 30. But, I mean, come on. When I compare people, like with legacy and stuff like that i look at the postseason because that's a big factor in determining legacy in my mind and clearly sandy has the upper hand granted he's thrown a lot less games but kershaw i don't really remember ever being that sandy koufax level good in the postseason no postseason kershaw is definitely gonna bring him down like 2020 i believe he reeled it in a little bit Obviously, to help the Giants, uh, the Giants, the Dodgers win the World Series at last. But I don't know. I feel like it's closer for me, if only because Kershaw was pitching in a more run-happy environment than Koufax was. That's not to discount the achievements of Koufax. For me, it's close. Gun to my head, I might say Koufax too, but I would need to look at their ERA pluses. Kershaw is 155. Koufax, I just want to look this up super quick. His ERA plus is 131. So, Koufax's abilities alone, exacerbated over an entire career, might make him better. But when you look at the competition of each respective legend, I think Kershaw edges him out a little bit. But again, it's like the smallest of margins. And even then, regardless of whether or not he's better than Koufax or not, Tom, we just got to consider ourselves lucky that we're even able to watch such a fantastic pitcher, a first ballot Hall of Fame talent pitch in real time this is truly a gift throughout the entire course of his career too because we were young kids when he started in the mlb oh yeah his first full season i think was 2010 yeah 2010 or no no that was earlier than that 20 2008 2008. or not 20 2028 (laughs) (laughs) yeah 2008 that's when a young clayton kershaw greased dodger blue at the ripe age of 20 absolutely fantastic achievement couldn't have happened to anyone better and yeah congrats to kershaw so moving right along bit of a shorter story but still a very impactful one ronald acuna jr staying in the national league ronald acuna jr is back from injury now if y'all remember from last year ronald acuna jr had to go had to undergo tommy john surgery after he injured his leg in the outfield wait wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait, wait a minute. did i say he tommy undergoes... john I yeah he, <laughs> he can, went... can i can i start that over <laughs> no i want to bring this up now he went on un- he underwent tommy john surgery because he injured his leg he tore his acl and he needs tommy john surgery i mean maybe he needed both at the same time for all we know 
I'm see. I'm just stupid, folks. It's late. I'm gonna chalk it up to that. But nevertheless, Ronald Acuna injured himself last year in the outfield of Marlins Park and had to miss the remainder of the season. And it was originally anticipated he'd be back by like the All Star game this year, maybe sometime in June. But he healed up very nice. He was taking live BP by the time the season kicked up, and now he's back and lead off for the Braves in three of the four games in which he's officially been off the IL. Uh, he's not lighting the world on fire yet. I mean, he stole two bases in his first game back, so that's at least something. And, you know, he's Ronald Acuna Jr. He's gonna find his form now that he's fully healthy and is gonna get every opportunity to do so. And the Braves? Wow, talk about a shot in the arm. This is gonna... <laughs> those early season struggles they had? Uh, yeah, Acuna is going to do away with those pretty damn quick. Yeah, he's definitely going to help this team win some more ballgames down the stretch. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, no, shit. it's Ronald Acuna. He's not going to put up that monster season that you might expect, given that he started a little bit late. But maybe he'll pop off and like just just give him some time. Give him give him like 10, 15 games and then let's see what Ronald Acuna can do, because then he should be at least a little bit more acclimated to being back into the swing of things. One funny story that I want to share about Acuna, the re the way he found out he was going to come back, Brian Snicker called him at one in the morning, said, hey, do you want to play right field tomorrow? And he immediately started screaming and going crazy, got real excited. <laughs> Obviously, he was rehabbing in AAA uh, Gwinnett. I believe that's what the Braves mm -hmm. AAA team is. So rehabbing there for a few games, Snicker called him up, and yeah. Just really, just some really wholesome content to to go along with an already great story of Ronald Acuna yeah. coming back. I can almost imagine Ronald in a hotel room just screaming at one in the morning, and then everybody <laughs> like in the hotel is probably like, "What the hell is going on? Like, is somebody like <laughs> robbing somebody? Is somebody hurt?" And then then Ronald just runs out of the room. And he's like, "I'm playing right field tonight. Yes." <laughs> Like the AAA manager, like, what the hell's all the racket? And then he finds it's Acuna. He's like, oh, I, I get it. Oh, I get it. I, I don't have Acuna on my team anymore. Yeah, he's ready. <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out to that team's social media that pretty much posted when Acuna came back. Like, hey, for those who only followed for the Acuna updates, we'll miss you. <laughs> so, crate on Acuna. Let's stick in the National League for this next story, because we had some tempers flaring this year, folks. One of the first big brawls this year, which, granted, you could call it a brawl. It was just a push, pushing and shoving match, you know, a holding me back fest. It's still a baseball fight, after all. Tensions flared in the Mets-Cardinals series, which, if you don't know, the Mets have been plunked by an abnormally high quantity of baseballs this year. Uh, a scary total is how many times they've gotten hit in the head. I think Alonzo alone has already gotten hit in the head like two, three times, which is very concerning. And the theatrics continued throughout the series with the Cardinals. Mets decide to retaliate a little bit. They throw up and into Nolan Arenado. I believe it was Yoan Lopez, the pitcher who threw at him. And Arenado takes exception. Like, he takes a lot of exception to it. Throws the catcher out of the way, starts going and yelling. You could probably guess what he said. And the bench is empty. The bullpens come in. It's a baseball fight, all fun and games, just like it normally is, uh, until folks get suspended. Arenado got suspended two games for starting the whole thing. Uh, he actually appealed and brought it down to one game. Cardinals reliever Genesis Cabrera also got suspended one game and was fined. And one last fine that I want to bring up, because I think it's funny, Yoan Lopez, the pitcher who threw at Arenado, got fined. 
He did not get suspended. He just got fined. And I believe someone on the Mets paid his fine for him. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. It might have been McNeil. It might have been Lindor or Escobar. Someone paid the fine for him. And I just thought that was really funny. That's a that's a good friend right there paying that fine. It's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got it. Scoot out of the way. Right, this is just one of those situations about the unwritten rules of baseball. Now, in the Mets' defense, yeah, they have the right to be pissed. But is it really the Cardinals' fault that they've been hit? all season long like i don't know if they intentionally meant to hit pete alonzo up high if they were getting hit throughout the game then yeah that's going to be the boiling point i will say this i don't condone hitting people up and in if you're going to retaliate i don't care if somebody just got hit in the head drill the guy in the back drill the guy in the ass or hit him in the leg somewhere it's going to leave a nice bruise and then leave it at that if the guy gets pissy then so be it but that's just the way baseball works and that's kind of the unwritten rules of the sport, too, is you don't throw up and high at somebody because that has the potential of ending somebody's career, possibly, because if you get hit in the leg, what's going to happen? You break your leg, maybe you get a broken ankle, a sprain or something, get hit in the head, no big deal. You might just lose your vision. You could get a concussion, which could lead to worse symptoms. You know, you could have bleeding in the brain for all we know. Like, eh, nothing too big. Like, obviously, a leg is a leg injury is far worse than a head injury so i'm moving on because i would like to talk about ali marmel's uh, little rant after this game because he was like how dare the mets like throw up and in an arenado and you're risking this guy's career and yada 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 now i get he's defending his guy but my guy ali i'm rooting for you hard this year because i have your team winning the world series i have you winning manager of the year but that is not a manager of the year moment, especially when your team just hit Pete Alonso up high and in the head. And quite frankly, it actually hit him. I don't think Arenado got hit in the head. It just grazed by him. And you're going to complain that that's possibly going to ruin a guy's career when you literally did worse by actually hitting someone. Definitely not the move to throw high and in if you actually remember a couple years ago arenado got pissed at the cubs when he was still on the rockies <laughs> for doing the same thing it was just a plunked batter fest bunch of cubs got hit they retaliated and hit arenado and he threw a fit because it was too high it didn't even hit him in the head it hit him in like the back but now you understand why he got so pissed that it actually almost did hit his head i don't know but folks don't worry don't go feeling too bad for the mets just yet because <laughs> Just a few short nights later, they did something very, very impressive, and that's no hit. The slugging lineup of the Philadelphia Phillies. Don't get too excited yet, it was a combined no-hitter. Still very impressive, don't get me wrong, but yet. Yeah, Tom's giving me the double thumbs down, Javi Baez style, because let's be fair here, folks. Single <laughs> no-hitters are better. However, that's a rant for another day. For now, we, we do have to give props to the Mets, because all pitchers that were used... It was Tyler McGill, he started and went five innings, Drew Smith went one, Joely Rodriguez went, I believe, two-thirds, Seth Lugo finished that one inning, and then Edwin Diaz closed it out in the ninth. Diaz, in particular, looked fantastic. I watched pretty much the whole game. Diaz struck out the side of Harper, Castellanos, and Real Muto. That is not an easy task. Um, and what's even more impressive is the Mets did this on 156 excuse me, 157 pitches. Like, imagine if one guy was throwing all that. 
Like, I can imagine the aneurysm Kevin Cash is having in his head, just imagining one pitcher throwing 150. Well, if you recall, Tony, Tim Lincecum threw a no-hitter where I believe he threw 149 pitches. That's Maybe true. he even cracked the 150 plateau, and I thought his arm would fall off. Like, listen, I've pitched, like, <laughs> when I was younger, my arm would feel like jelly if I threw more than, like, 70 pitches. I was not a big, beefy, strong armed pitcher my arm felt like jelly at that rate i have no idea like if one guy did it on 157 god bless him maybe they did that back in the day like of nolan Air- maybe nolan ryan did that because he seems like the fella who could uh do that and then pitch immediately the next day throw another no hitter i was gonna say nolan ryan actually did do it i believe he actually cracked 200 one time which oh, oh that should have been my trivia question like how many pitches did he throw but <laughs> i was gonna say well, not only did the Mets give their fans something to write home about, it was also play-by-play announcer for SNY, Gary Cohen's birthday that day. And if you don't know who Gary Cohen is, he's one of the best announcers in all of sports. Uh, always makes great calls, always has hilarity on the airwaves. I think he went viral a little uh, a few weeks ago for us uh, saying, why are we showing Yankees highlights? in the middle of an SNY, uh, <laughs> like, highlight update because he didn't know his mic was hot, um, which was kind of hilarious. I'm not I'm not going to lie. That was funny. But, um, yeah, happy birthday, Gary Cohen. They celebrate their play-by-play guy's birthday by giving him a no-hitter to call. That is amazing. And they did it wearing the black unis. You want to talk yeah. about all the stars <laughs> aligning? That was the perfect night for Mets fans. Trust me, we cloud on you guys all the time. That was an amazing night. Great game, and my coworker got to see it. She told me before we bunched out on Friday that she was going to go see it. Like, oh, I can't wait. You know, my boyfriend really likes baseball, and she sees a no-hitter. you so, got to be kidding me. That, was that the first <laughs> game that she went to? I don't know. If that was, I'm f***ing salty about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, Kat, congratulations. You saw a no-hitter. But at the same time, I'm also mildly jealous. <laughs> I'm very jealous. <laughs> congrats to the Mets fans Phillies fans or Phillies fans wow this was like the worst case scenario for your team your hitting lineup doesn't hit except for Kyle Schwarber because apparently he's got 16 home runs against the Mets and 36 career games against them I saw that on ESPN earlier on uh, their Sunday night baseball broadcast I don't know exactly what the number was but it's a lot in little amount of time Yep. Oh, and the Phillies are actually getting creamed on Sunday Night Baseball now. The, the score, is, as we speak, is 9-4. to four, So. Oh, Jesus. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll revisit the Phillies and around the horn this time next week, but we'll have to wait and see. Oh, boy. Now to finish off our major headlines. <laughs> uh, we actually have a story. We're going to stay in New York for this one. And, Tom, I'm actually going to let you take the reins on this story because you're <laughs> the one that added it to the rundown because... Uh, my dumbass forgot about it, but let's just say there's a reason I forgot about it. On sur- on the surface, it's a nothing burger, but that kind of is the story. So, Tom, take it away. All right, ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening. If you didn't know, the Yankees had a letter that they fought so hard, tooth and nail, to avoid coming out because they thought it would damage their entire reputation. Houston fans... Maybe some Red Sox fans, people all over baseball who hated the Yankees, which is a big collective bunch, were hoping this would reveal some sort of like inner working Ponzi scheme that would derail the Yankees, maybe even get Brian Cashman fired. And it gets open, and drumroll please. Brrr- 
Silence? Yeah, because there was literally nothing new that really came out about that. So, yeah, nothing out of the ordinary was even found. Quite frankly, I'm not even sure why they fought to release it in the first place, because everything we already knew pretty much was just restated here. It even made the Red Sox uh, cheating scandal look worse, quite frankly, and the Astro scandal even uh, quite worse. But um, Andy Martino on SNY has some bullet points down that are the main takeaways of it. You can go read his entire article if you want on sny um they also i believe posted the entire letter with some things redacted mainly for like security reasons and people like employees names and stuff like that but here are the six bullet point eh, no i can't count five bullet points that he wrote down uh the letter does not implicate the yankees in a sign stealing scheme similar to the one that the astros were punished uh when batters received the signs in real time without the help of a runner on second base that is key because the yankees only cheated when runners were on second base. Um, it does reveal, as SNY had previously reported it would, that the Yanks, as I said, used the video replay room in 2015 and 2016 to decode sign sequences and pass them to a runner on second base, who would then relay them to the batter. So yes, that is cheating. Uh, don't think I'm not taking that lightly. But again, we already knew this information a long time ago. Um, so it's nothing surprising to me. The Yankees did get fined $100,000 for improper use of a dugout phone. Uh, which was a previously unreported amount. The letter cleared the Yankees of using Yes Network, their uh, primary TV feed, cameras to steal signs, which the Red Sox had alleged, which I believe was why this happened in the first place. I believe the Yankees were trying to say the Red Sox cheated, and then in retaliation, the Red Sox claimed the Yankees cheated, and then this stuff was found out. Um, and the final bullet point, the letter does not accuse the Yankees of sign stealing after the crucial date of September 15th of 2017, when Rob Manfred announced that from that day forward, electronic sign stealing would be subject to more severe punishments. In fact, the letter does not accuse the team of stealing signs at any point during the 2017 season. So, that's kind of a little much to take in if you didn't hear this already, but that's pretty much the main gist of what happened. Why the Red Sox and Astros were punished more severely? They cheated after that date. Especially in the Astros case because they were cheating during the postseason. Including the World Series. Which I don't know if the Red Sox necessarily did it in the postseason. I thought I heard a long time ago that they didn't. They still cheated. They didn't get away with it. But that's the scoop. And yeah, Tony... As you mentioned, nothing really out of the ordinary was revealed here. It was kind of... There were two camps to this whole thing. Actually, I'm going to put three. There's the Houston and Boston fans who kind of looked at this and rubbed their hands together saying, Yes, the Yankees will be outed at last. There's everyone else that said, eh, It's probably nothing, but if it is something, then wow, we have something to talk about for the next few weeks. And then there's the third crowd of rabid Yankees fans that says, Oh, yes, please let it be something so we can get Cashman out of here. <laughs> I might have been in that latter camp for like a day. <laughs> I realized what a nothing burger this was. I know I used that phrase already, but I like that phrase. Sue me. Yeah, it does not uh, incriminate the Yankees any more than what we already knew. Like Tom said, the case of cheating that the Yankees committed was less severe than that of the Red Sox and the Astros, so that quote-unquote day of reckoning that the Red Sox fans and Astros fans anticipated was coming, yeah, it's not coming. It They, they cheated, but it was not to the same degree, hence why they didn't face the same 
punishment. I find it funny, Tony, that certain Astros fans are like, Yeah, the Yankees cheated! You're on the same level with us! And those are probably the same fans who are like, This didn't even happen in the first place. Come on, guys. Why would we <laughs> bang on the trash can to begin with? Some of them might be like that. Some of them are probably just trying to justify themselves to that kind of Houston sports propaganda that, like, hates the Yankees and stuff like that, which I've seen articles, like, from, I think, the Houston Chronicle, like, pretty much outlining they're trying to make the yankees look like one of the worst people in human history they did cheat okay but get this through your head astro fans if you're gonna be civil and kind of admit that yeah the astros cheated more the yankees still cheat i am admitting that it's clearly evident that they did cheat and i'm not gonna tolerate that but you guys cheated a lot worse now, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but that's literally the situation right now. If you're going to compare apples and oranges, which it seems like many are on Twitter, they got to realize that they are literally compared to the Black Sox, who all got banned from the game. That's how they've harshly been compared to. What are the Yankees going to be compared to for cheating like this? The steroid era, when everybody was cheating at that rate? I guarantee there's more than just the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros that sort of abused this video replay room system in place over the course of the 2010s or whenever they've had this video replay room to begin with. I'm not saying there are. I'm just saying if three teams did it, there could be the chance that more teams are doing it and they just didn't get punished or somebody swept it under the rug. So for all, again, all those Houston fans out there that are trying to justify this, yes, the Yankees cheated. But you guys che- still cheated a lot worse. So don't try and say we're on the same level other than the fact that we cheated. I'm willing to put money on the fact that there are more teams that cheated. And the one thing I'll say left in this segment, speaking of beating a dead horse, oh, when you brought up the, yeah, yeah, why would we bang trash cans? It just dawned on me that you opened this segment with, drum roll, please. <laughs> so so oh, whoever's editing oh. this segment, let's see if we can get a trash can banging sound to put over that Trump roll. How about it, huh? That's yeah, definitely be- not an old and overused joke. <laughs> Better yet, whoever's editing this segment, how about you let that play out like normal, and then you do the little harp music like a flashback, and then you <laughs> reinsert it with like either all three elements or just a trash bang. And drum roll, please. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> like three trash cans being banged at once. I wonder what yeah, sign mu- that's for. <laughs> yeah, multiverse of madness is happening. Let's pretend this isn't another <laughs> multiverse going on right now. Where I said trash cans, please. Bang, 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 bang. Trash cans, please. <laughs> I might have to start doing that. If we ever have a drum roll on the show, oh my god, that won't get old fast. <laughs> All right. So that being said, that'll do it for our major headline segment. Now y'all understand why we uh, were a little short on Around the Horn, because we had a lot of stuff to talk about. And quite frankly, that is just the way we like it. Now, speaking of just the way we like it, let's watch Tom get another trivia question wrong. It's time for our trivia segment. Hey, I got it right last week. What the f***? After like three guesses and I gave you hints. Yeah, that's how we've normally done it. I gave you hints, and you got it right. You gave me one hint, and I got it like that. I'm still impressed I got that one. That was the Eckersley question, right? Yes. (laughs) 
Well, this one, this one I will say is a little easier just because I was pressed for time and just looked for a question before we started the show. But I'm going to get right into it because this has to do with your sweetheart team. Oh, uh, sort of, kind of. So, star third baseman for the Cardinals, Nolan Arenado, who we just brought up for getting almost hit in the face and starting a fight because of it. Today, on May 1st, just hit his 275th career home run. Now, Tom, what I want you to tell me, name the other three third basemen in MLB history to hit 275 home runs or more within their first 10 seasons. I'll just right off the bat, I'll tell you there's three. All right. So let's throw out Mike Schmidt uh, because That's he's one. the king of clash with, when it comes to that. I want to say A-Rod, but I don't know if he counts because he played shortstop to begin his career. He does not count, but you did get Mike Schmidt, so you've got one so far. Okay, then let's throw in... I'm trying to think if it's one of the Robinsons. I always get them confused. Brooks Robinson, I know, is a third baseman. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of Frank Robinson for whatever reason, but I think he was a first baseman. Frank Robinson is not a third baseman, and Brooks Robinson is not the answer. Well, I knew it wasn't Brooks Robinson. He's known for his glove. That's fair, but it's not Frank either. Yeah, that, that, that's why I figured. Uh, other third baseman to do this. Let's see. I think it's Gio Urshela. <laughs> oh, I have a, no, it's Jason Nix from his days back when he was a New York Yankee. Come on now. <laughs> I don't oh even my God, know how could I forget? Basement. <laughs> or Eduardo Nunez. How about that? Let's throw that name out there. <laughs> That's a name I've not thought of in a minute. <laughs> Yankees legend, Eduardo Nunez. I'm trying to think of like third baseman that can mash and for some reason I'm drawing a blank I do this all the time when I play Wardle I'm like okay who are the five NL Central teams and I can name like three of them and it takes me like an extra 30 seconds to name the other two for some reason <laughs> when you put me on the spot I always draw a blank which sucks if you want I can give you relative time periods I mean you can do that that would be nice one of them is 21st century one of them is kind of mid-20th century. Why can't I think of this? This I should know off the top of my head, like, bam, bam, bam. Oh, Chipper Jones has to be one of them. He's actually not. Oh, f*** off. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, if anything that's more impressive for Arenado, he's on a better home run hitting tear than Chipper. All right, well, how about this? How about another brief? Eddie Matthews. Bam, that's one. Okay, so that's the 1900s player. How about Troy Gloss? There you go. That was it. How about It was that? him. <laughs> I <laughs> I remembered he Nicely hit done. a crap ton of home runs with the Angels, and mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, I don't know if he reached 250, because I thought his career was like shortened by injuries, but I got it right. I'm proud of myself. I'm not proud it took me that long, but uh, <laughs> I'm still proud of myself nonetheless. Hey, don't worry. When we edit this all down, it'll seem instantaneous. Yeah, or no, it, it's not. There there was if a this... <laughs> crap ton of comments in the middle. <laughs> For reference, by the way, Gloss actually has 320 career home runs. It was the fact that he only played 13 seasons. You know, after that 10th season, he only played three more where he accrued just a couple more home runs. So it did suck to see his career come to an abrupt halt, but he was, you're right, he was on a torrid start. And Eddie Matthews needs no introduction, Hall of Fame third baseman, teammate with Hank Aaron. Just one of the best to ever do it. Simply put. Yeah, my strategy here was to think of players I've used in MLB The Show, because I guarantee <laughs> that would have landed me with success. I've rarely played with Matthews. I love his swing. I played with Gloss, and he sucked. Uh, that's not how I came to the answer, though. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I was thinking about giving you the hint they're both in MLB The Show. 
I'm not even a little bit kidding. I would have choked you if you did that. That would have been a terrible hint. I mean, that would have narrowed it down, to be fair, but I, I would have been pissed. All right, whatever. Somebody, okay, let's move on from trivia, because we've already spent enough time on this. So let's uh, talk about <laughs> something that's going to make somebody pissed, and that's going to be teams of the month. Because one of us is inevitably going to take players from one or the other that we were planning on drafting, and one of us is going to be salty because somebody's going to emerge victorious, or there'll be a tie on social media, in which case we will both be probably equally salty. But if you haven't been here before for any of our fantasy drafts, here's how it works. We take turns drafting a team based on their performance in the month of April for this time around. We've done other fantasy drafts in the past, like best not in the Hall of Fame draft, where we just drafted a bunch of people that are not in the Hall of Fame and tried to assemble the best possible team with it. We cannot repeat players. I would like to point that out. We're doing all nine positions in the field. We are including a DH, which can be a hitter of our choice that none of us has chosen yet. Then we also have a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher to go with it, a snake draft like always. So if I get the first pick, Tony will have two and three, and then I will have four and five and so on and so forth. And of course, you can vote on social media pretty much uh, whenever Tom decides to create the graphic for it sometime later this week. We'll post it on our Instagram story and also on Twitter. We'll post a poll of who had the better team of the month. And you will even see some graphics and stats to accompany that. So, how we get started with this? Well, Tony, you better pull up your phone and ask Siri to flip a coin. All right, folks, here we go. The very high-tech solution for flipping a coin. Here we go. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. We did this already once. We got to say who's going to have heads or tails. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you. I would (laughs) have embarrassed myself thoroughly, so uh, I'll call first this time. I'll say tails. Okay. Hey, Siri. Flip a coin. Tails. Bada bing, bada boom. I think that's like the third time I picked first. I'm going to be honest. Like, I'll hold it up to the camera. It says tails. It's gone, but it said wait, tails. I, I didn't hear anything. That's why I'm like a little sus. I believe oh, wait, you. you. Do you want me to flip it again? I don't even know if I want the first pick. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I believe you. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Also, right. because I know I haven't picked first in the past, and I've still emerged victorious. I'm undefeated in this, if you couldn't tell. I'm a little yeah, cocky. Yeah, yeah, That's because Tom has, like, seven burner accounts, and he uses them all to vote for himself. <laughs> I, I can pull up the receipts, mother <laughs> of who voted and who didn't vote. There are no burner accounts. I do not do that. I am sure, yeah, you keep telling yourself you that. You can look song. at them, too! You have access to the accounts! I refuse to believe it. I plead the fifth. <laughs> Get on and pick your player. <laughs> All right, you know what? You don't got to tell me twice because you know what? There's a reason I said Paisan earlier. I called you Paisan because my first pick is going to be a Paisan. That's the Italian legend Yankees first baseman Anthony Rizzo. Now, I was debating on who to take first. I had like three guys in mind based on positional needs. But at the end of the day... Can I really deny the legendary Italian himself? My, He's a fellow Anthony. I have to have him on my team. If it's not, it's just a crime. What can I say? If you've even remotely been paying attention to baseball, you know how good Anthony Rizzo's been. League leading nine home runs. He's already accrued 1.1 war. A 1067 OPS with a 213 OPS plus. Yes, he was the beneficiary of a very generous short porch home run game. Yes, they would have all been home runs in one park and one park alone, 
but he hit them in that park, so I don't care. The numbers don't lie. Rizzo's been red hot to start the year, and he's my first pick for my team of the month. Well, of course you picked Rizzo. I do have backup first baseman, so I'm okay with that. But now I'm going to take the true MVP out of the American League with the second overall pick right now. I am taking J-Ram, of course. Jose Ramirez, the Cleveland Guardians' third baseman, who is tearing the absolute snot off the ball right now. Seven home runs on the year so far, which is near the league lead. 28 RBIs driving them Guardians in. I never thought I would say that because they usually suck at offense. A 342 batting average, a 411 OBP, OPS of 1133, and an OPS plus of 232. Pretty damn impressive for who I think is the MVP of the American League currently at this moment. Also leads the league in total bases with 57 at the moment. So of course, I'm taking Jose Ramirez. I could have taken another position, but I think, hands down, this is probably the guy I wanted on my team the most outside of possibly Anthony Rizzo. But, whatever. Whatever, Tony. You can do whatever you want by taking him, because I'm going to take, with the third overall pick, your dark horse Cy Young pick in the National League, Pablo Lopez. <laughs> Tony flipped me the bird. <laughs> It's okay, I have a backup, but god damn it, that's my boy. I knew I had to take this guy early because, to me, he's by far the best pitcher in baseball right now. A 3-0 record, perfect 8-0.39 ERA, which is leading the league in his four starts. He's got 23 strikeouts, only four walks. And I'm going to say a stat, he also hasn't given up a home run yet. I'm going to say a stat that its average is 100, I believe, and that's ERA+. plus. He leads the league with an ERA plus of, if you thought 100 was average, you're going to have to multiply that number by at least 10. He has a 1,002 OPS plus, 1,002, or not OPS plus, Jesus, he's not a batter, ERA plus currently at the moment. The Miami Marlins have their ace right now, and he just might win the Cy Young and keep the Marlins somewhat competitive this year i had to take pablo with my third overall pick all right you know what you can have pablo he's my boy and i'm very happy he's performing as high as i hyped him up but you can have him i'm gonna go ahead and take another contender for the best hitter in the american league uh have you heard of him his name's mike trout little known guy drafted out of some state in the northeast i don't know no one really cares about it oh Uh, you (laughs) new york piece of I'm not going to defend New York, but I will run New Jersey through the mud all day long. <laughs> you are oh, disgracing the greatest, one of the greatest players of all time. You take that back. Hey, I'm not disgracing. I'm literally about to praise the shit out of him. What are you talking about? <laughs> Fair enough. Go on. Michael Nelson Trout. He's good at baseball. Surprise, surprise. He's been totally healthy this year, which is always a good sight to see. And what does Mike Trout do when he's healthy? He f- hits a 236 OPS plus leads all of baseball how could you say no to that he has struck out only one more time than he's walked he's still got that elite sprint speed and center that made him or rather that allowed him to make a great catch over against the White Sox and he's a principal reason the Angels are as competitive as they are right now so 
you didn't really need me to tell you that Mike Trout is good at baseball, but in case you didn't know, I'll tell you again. Mike Trout, very good at baseball. You might want to circle him on your draft board when you're making a team of the month, which I will happily take as the man to kickstart my outfield. Now, I'm going to jump back into the infield for my next pick, since I will wait till the end to take a pitcher now. I'm going to go with one of the most, I don't want to say one of the thinner positions in baseball, because there are plenty of good folks there right now. But I'm going to jump over to second base, and I'm going to take a guy who has really impressed me so far this season when I didn't have a ton of expectations. Tom, I have a question for you. Yes, Tony. You like jazz? Oh, you're going this direction. I was thinking you were going in a different direction, but okay, I do like jazz, yes. All right, well, Tom likes jazz, and you know what? I also like jazz. In case you couldn't tell, folks, we are referring to Jazz Chisholm of the Miami Marlins, which you want to talk about guys like Mike Trout, who are principal reasons their team is doing so well? Yep, Jazz is doing that, and then some. He's got a 192 OPS plus to go along with a 344 on base percentage, which is a nice leap from last year. Hey, speaking of leaps from last year, he had a 425 slugging percentage last year. That's up to a nice 667 right now. That's pretty good, if I do say so myself. Plays great defense over at second base. He's already accrued one war with the nice combination of defense and hitting. Just a really complete player he looks like this year, and I'm going to say it, if Chisholm could keep up this torrid pace right now, I don't know, man, you're going to start seeing all-star selections, you might even see some MVP votes thrown his way, and he's just the kind of guy the Marlins need right now, that electric, dynamic bat, and the glove to go with it, so Jazz is my second baseman. I'm doing some research right now to figure out who I'm going to be taking with my next pick. So... Tony just went second baseman. I was thinking about going that route, possibly. I think I'm going to pass right now, at least for the near future, because you know what? I think I'm going to take my first outfielder. And you might be saying, well, the Angels are known for two players, Shohei Otani and also Mike Trout. Well, how about you start putting some respect on Taylor Ward's name? That's right, the young ain't—actually, he's not young. He's 28. I mean, I guess that's pretty young. But the Angels outfielder is tearing it up right now. So much so that I dropped Stephen Kwan for my fantasy team for Taylor Ward. That's right, because he's doing more than Kwan is right now. Five home runs, 13 RBIs with 20 hits. He's got a 392 batting average, an OBP that leads the league of 500, a slugging of 784, and also a league-leading OPS of 1284 with an OPS plus of 278 to boot. Taylor Ward, you are looking really, really good to start the season, young man. And I put you down as Taylor Wells in my notes. I don't know why, but I'm changing that right now. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tom selects Orioles pitcher Taylor Wells to his team of the month. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see who pays <laughs> off. We'll have to see, Tony. Uh, Let's see if Taylor Ward can lead my outfield to victory. Now, I'm thinking about positions that we haven't tackled yet. I know I could possibly go for DH at some point, but I don't think I'm going to do that quite yet because I do have many backups that I could go in a direction with. But I think I'm going to hit a position that we haven't touched yet just because I have a number one guy that I want there. 
and I don't want Tony to take him. So, Tony, you're in love with the Seattle Mariners, correct? Mother f- I already know where you're going with this. <laughs> I already know where you're going. Just pick him. <laughs> it's J.P. Crawford, the shortstop out of the God Seattle damn. Mariners. Got himself a nice five-year extension a few weeks ago, and he's tearing the cover off the ball. Known for his glove, but now he's actually doing really good stuff with the bat, too. 27 hits, 3 home runs, 9 RBIs. Uh, 360 batting average, 449 OBP, slugging 573, OPS 1023, OPS plus 210, and is looking like a leader for the Seattle Mariners and also the premier shortstop in baseball right now. There are a few others I could possibly say are the premier shortstops in baseball right now, but in terms of who's had the best month of April, I think J.P. Crawford stands out at shortstop compared to some of the other guys that were on my board. Yeah, it was, that's a pretty good pick, and I know that because I might have wanted to take him next, but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're all good because I am, well, since pretty much every position is at least tapped with the exception of closer, which I'll tackle closer when I get there. It's like drafting an actual fantasy. You don't worry about closers too early. I'm going to try and fill my outfield with the best sluggers possible because my next pick to play right field is going to be number 99, Aaron yeah. Judge. I saw that. Coming. That was way more cringe than I wanted it to be. I tried to <laughs> emulate the Yankees PA guy. But nevertheless, Aaron Judge, Tom Harped on Pablo Lopez as my dark horse Cy Young winner. Aaron Judge, if you lovely folks will remember, was my MVP favorite, and he sure as hell is playing like it lately. In his last couple games, his home run line goes like two against the Royals, one against the Royals, one against the Orioles, none against the Orioles, and then, oh, one against the Orioles. So Aaron Judge, after a pretty slow start, has absolutely found his stride. He is demolishing the cover off the ball right now. He's absolutely a maniac at the plate. And reminder, he does play a damn good right field with a cannon of an arm. His slash line looks like 293, 361, and 600. That's a 961 OPS and a 182 OPS plus. So definitely a guy I told y'all to not sleep on this year, and he's proven me right. Aaron Judge is going to be my second outfielder. Guess what, folks? I lied. I am a dirty liar. I said we at least touched every position in baseball so far. There's actually a er, position in baseball, every position on the diamond so far. There's one that we actually haven't, mm-hmm. and that position is catcher. Yep. Now, one thing I'll say off the rip, there just weren't a ton of great breakout catchers to start this year. There were no bad catchers. Don't I mean, of course, there's bad catchers. What am I saying? Gary Sanchez is still in the league, but... There, there was no one breakout catching option, but I think the one guy that caught my eye more than anyone else is Texas's backstop, Jonah Heim. Oh, now, really? You might not have, okay, then. You might not have heard of this guy. Tom, for one, has not heard of this guy. Oh, I've heard, which, I've heard of him. I just didn't expect you to go this route. Honestly, I looked through a couple other catching options. I looked at Romuto. I looked at Darno. Travis Darno is actually having a great season to start the year. But in a smaller sample size, Jonah Heim has been pretty damn good. Granted, like I said, small sample size, he's played 10 games of the season so far. I believe he was on paternity leave at some point. But he made those 10 games count. A 333 average, 444 on base, 600 slugging, that's a 1044 OPS, and a 2 
212, or excuse me, just, you yeah, know, a 212 OPS plus, that's really good to start the year. In case you couldn't tell, that's a, that's a pretty good stat line. And in a Rangers lineup that's been pretty bereft of hitting talent as of late, sans Corey Seager, Jonah Heim is a really nice option for the Rangers, and he's just been really slept on so far this year. I think he's definitely the best hitting catcher to start the year, and do I think he keeps it up? Not really, but at least for the month of April, I think he tore the cover off it better than any other catcher in baseball. He's my pick, beyond a doubt. So I'm going to pull a little trick up of, up my sleeve here, and I'm going to actually go and take my DH currently right now. Now you might be saying, Tom, why are you doing this? You have other positions to fill. You're stupid. First of all, I know I'm stupid. I've already said that plenty of times in the past, and I'll say it many more in the future. But two, I want to make sure Tony can't take a certain player. And we talked about him earlier in the show. So I'm going to go ahead and steal a third baseman away from Tony and take Nolan Aaron. <laughs> Tony said something bad. I saw his lips um, move on Discord. I called you a son of a bitch. That's what I did. Because <laughs> I'm taking Arenado as my DH. I'm pulling a dirty little trick because Arenado might be the MVP of the National League currently at the moment with 27 hits. Five home runs, 17 RBIs, a 375 average 444 OBP. A league leading, I'm going to list them these three stats off because he leads the league in them. Slugging at 681, OPS of 1125, and OPS plus of 235. At least that's according to baseball reference at the moment. And he's looking really, really, really good to start the year. And I wanted to make sure Tony couldn't take him. I was thinking of somebody else possibly, but if Tony wants him, he can go and take him. So Arenado will be my DH, or maybe I'll make Ramirez my DH because I think Arenado might be a better fielder than J-Ram, but I don't care. I'm not building a beat. I'm not playing like fantasy mode in like MLB The Show where I'm the GM, so that doesn't really matter at the moment. What does matter is finding another outfielder for my team, and I was looking at some possible options, and I realized that some of the guys I was looking at aren't doing as good as I thought they were. So I kind of had to pivot in a different direction. I was planning on taking Aaron Judge next, but Tony took that away from me. So I'm going to have to go with the next best option. And I think if I'm going outfielder, I'm going to have to take a slugger here. And so with my next pick, I'm going to take Jock Peterson of the San Francisco Giants. Six home runs, 10 RBIs to start the year, 353 batting average that will surely not go down below the Mendoza line at some point this season. With a 382 OBP, OPS plus of 225, OPS 1127, slugging 745. Why did that out of order? I don't know. He's also got 18 hits on the year. He's doing very well for San Francisco. Their standout hitter, I think, so far, unless I'm forgetting a key player. But I, I need another outfielder, and Jock Peterson will fit the bill. You think you're so slick taking Arenado. You think you're so <laughs> slick, but just you wait. I, I got a wild card up my sleeve, too, even though yeah. it's not going to affect you because you can't take third baseman anymore. <laughs> but well, well, there's see, another, that'll, that'll be my last pick. What? There's another very good third baseman that I deeply considered taking, and I think if we're thinking of the same player, then uh, I was almost leaning towards him. He's def. I, granted, I say he's definitely going to be my pick, as if I know who you're thinking of. I don't know who you're thinking of, but in my eyes, there's really only one more guy he could be. But just just to keep y'all in suspense, I'm not going to take the third base yet, because there's 
there's really no reason for me to. Alrighty, so since every position, now for real this time, has been touched, except for closer, I am going to tackle the first position that uh, overlaps a little bit. Or actually, nope, you know what? I changed my mind. I have... No, I haven't changed my mind because I forgot Tom already took his DH. See, I'm tired, <laughs> folks. You can't... Don't blame me for being tired. I'm going to go ahead and take my pitcher now just to get him off the board so I can talk about the Seattle Mariners again. Tom, you thought you stole my chance to talk about the Mariners by taking Crawford. I am going to talk about the Mariners because Logan Gilbert deserves more love. If Pablo Lopez is the slam dunk Cy Young winner for the National League right now, I think it's pretty safe to say that Logan Gilbert has got the American League on lock right now. He leads the American circuit right now with a .40 ERA. He has an 881 ERA plus, which is not quite as eye-gouging, or eye-gouging, gross, eye-popping as Pablo Lopez's clip, but most certainly still respectable. Actually, quick addendum, his ERA is actually .64 now because he allowed three runs to the Marlins today, this you know, May 1st, because he actually pitched today, and what do you know, he won again. He's got four wins now, and he's just been the ace that Seattle has really needed. With Robbie Ray's pretty slow start, Logan Gilbert has showed up at the perfect time to be that stalwart pitcher for the team. Logan Gilbert is my starting pitcher. Now, lastly, I am going to round out my outfielders. I'm doing this in the vain hope that I take who Tom is looking at. I don't know who you're looking at, Tom, but there's two guys on my docket right now, and I'm pretty much up to like a coin flip of which one I'm going to take. They're both very dynamic outfielders, and they both absolutely deserve a spot in this all-April team build, I guess you could say, because, well, when they're both at their peaks and when they're both healthy, they're both very good. And, you know, the second one has nothing to do with health. I wanted to drop health because I think I know who I'm going to pick. I'm taking Byron Buxton. Yeah, you asshole. Final outfielder. The other guy, uh, who, actually, I'm not going to say who it is because I might take him as my DH now. Ooh, so, mystery. Ooh, so, so many mysteries. My third baseman, my TH. We'll <laughs> see. But Byron Buxton, just to get it out really quick, another just fantastic bat. It is so good to see him healthy again. We thought he was hurt when he got, I think he slid into second against the Red Sox, but he's not injured. He is healthy for a full month of April, where he just casually hit 271, 340, and 729 for a slugging clip. Good clip. Good God. 214 OPS plus. Buxton is an absolute monster to begin the year. You all knew this already. Let's just cross our fingers and pray he can keep this performance up for an entire year. Because I'm going to tell you right now, folks, if he can... We're going to see something special, but that should go without saying. Okay, now I'm kind of handicapped in the outfield because I was going to take Buxton literally with my next pick. So thank you for stealing that. That's what you get for Crawford and Arenado. So <laughs> I, I'll take this one. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the positions I need left. You've taken positions that I pretty much need, and we've kind of done the same. At some positions, you've taken guys where at some positions, you've taken guys that weren't even on my board. So that's a good thing in my regard. I'm going to have to hold off on outfielders for now because I got to reevaluate my strategy there because I really need to pull something out of my ass. So that being said, there are, let me count, one, two, three, four, eh, technically five positions that I need left, and I've got two picks right now. So I'm going to have to do some damage control 
and figure out who I want on my team that would do the most damage as a DH for Tony. And I think I'm going to lean first base right here. Now, there's two guys that I really want on my team, and one of them probably would have been my DH had it not been Nolan Arenado or possibly another player out there. I was comparing them on baseball reference when Tony was talking, and I found one first baseman's stats are pretty much better than the other in regards to how they're doing this year. So with my first baseman, yeah, this might be a surprise to you, I'm going to be taking Eric Hosmer as my first baseman. Now you might be saying, Tom, Eric Hosmer, haven't you on him in the past? Yes, but he's actually hitting extremely well to begin the year. Also has 1.4 war to begin the year, so he's a highlight for San Diego right now. 28 hits, 3 home runs, and 14 RBIs. A league-leading 389 batting average, which is part of the reason why he sold it for me. A 457 OBP, slugging a 597, a 1054 OPS, OPS plus 219. He's looking extremely well, and I wanted to steal him before Tony could possibly take him as a DH, just because of that batting average. Although, there's probably another player that's on Tony's radar that was on my radar too, that Tony might be taking in the near future. So stay tuned for um, bad words coming out of my mouth. All right. I think I'm going to go reliever here because I think that's the best bet to do because we haven't taken one yet. And my reliever, no surprise, is going to be Josh Hader of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's got a perfect ERA, meaning zeros across the board in 10 games. He's got 10 saves as well, 15 strikeouts and four walks to his name. He's only allowed two hits and uh, zero home runs, obviously, because of the zero ERA. This is all in nine and a third innings pitched. There would have been another reliever I would have happily taken, but Hader was my pick over the other one. I know exactly who that second one's going to be, and don't worry, I'll take him in just a little bit. Now, I am going to go for my DH next. Now, I'm torn based on an outfielder that I almost took over Buxton, and the first baseman that, frankly, I thought you were going to take. I did not think you were going to go Hosmer. I thought you were going to go elsewhere in the NL West, if you catch my drift. I do catch your drift. He was on my big board. And there's a very good reason for that. I honestly might take him, simply because I think this guy's been the more productive hitter for his team anyway. For my first base, uh, excuse me, my designated hitter, I'm taking CJ Crone of the Colorado Rockies. Now, it's actually kind of funny. You look at the two best sluggers in each league, and you see Anthony Rizzo and CJ Crone. It makes you think you're back in 2016. But it's true. Crone leads the National League both in home runs, RBI, and total bases. So he's using that chorus effect to his ever-loving advantage, and he is seeing fantastic results. A 168 OPS plus is all I have to say. And when it comes to war accumulation, which, t- which takes defense into account, and Crone being a pretty good defensive first baseman, but not Rizzo level good or Goldschmidt or Olsen, he's already got one war on the season. That's how good he's been offensively. And for my DH, that's all I need. Just a big body in the lineup to smack home runs to the furthest possible bleacher. So CJ Crone is going to be my designated hitter. Now, folks, I said my third baseman was going to be saved till the very end. 
I'm actually going to pick him right now because it only dawned on me upon looking on his baseball reference page how good he's been. I'm going to be honest, Tom, I originally, my like safety net, my e-bug, if you will, was going to be Austin Riley, who in his right has had a fantastic season for the Braves, but folks, have you seen what Manny Machado's been doing for the Padres? And there like, you go. There's a reason the Padres are actually good without Tatis, and his name is Manny Machado. I j- a 2.23 OPS+. 2.23. I think that leads my team. If it's not Rizzo and it's not Trout, actually it might be Trout, Machado's a close second. I will take him as my third baseman every day of the week. Obviously, I would have liked a guy like Arenado, but a guy who's leading baseball in hits actually tied with Crone for total bases and still hit still has an OPS clip over a thousand he's played 22 games too it's not like he's just been skipping out most of the season so I think Machado's been a fantastic player this year I'm just very shocked more people aren't talking about him so my third baseman is Manny Machado okay so then I'm just gonna rattle off the final three names right now so that way for time purposes we can just get them out of the way. So upon further evaluation, I realized there is an outfielder who is doing much better than the guy I was going to take, which was going to be Brandon Marsh. However, I'm going to Toronto to talk about George Springer, and I'm going to be taking him as my outfielder because I'm comparing him to Marsh right now, and he's pretty much doing better than him in every single category. 24 hits on the year, 6 home runs, 12 RBIs. He's got even 2 stolen bases, a 300 batting average a 360 OBP, a 588 slugging, 947 OPS, an OPS plus of 176, which far outweighs Brandon Marsh's of 138. So I figured that was probably the better deal. Also, War, Springer has him at 0.9 compared to 0.6. Now, second baseman, I just got to pull up his stats real quickly on baseball reference but i can tell you this guy has the third best war in all of baseball right now and you might not believe it when i say that man is tommy edmund the st louis cardinals second baseman with a 1.8 war to start the year he's doing a little bit of everything including the bat and the defense of course 21 hits three home runs 11 rbis five stolen bases which is among the league leaders 300 average 395 obp slugging is 486 ops 81 ops plus 165 a very good second baseman who is actually my top second baseman so i'm happy tony didn't take him all right and ladies and gentlemen everybody listening my final player of the day is catcher which i always seem to neglect whether i'm doing a fantasy draft or i'm doing a sort of like fantasy draft on the show i'm talking of course fantasy like fantasy baseball diamond do a podcast fantasy league which i'm three and oh in but that's besides the point. I just wanted to gloat for a second. I'm going to be taking Dodgers catcher Will Smith as my catcher of the month for April. Um, as Tony kind of alluded to, the catchers honestly really didn't perform over the top good. Like, I mean, Jonah Heim, I didn't even have him written down, but honestly, he's probably the best catcher of the month so far. So I'll give Tony credit for remembering Jonah Heim and remembering that the Rangers aren't just a sort of average but bad team right now. I'm going to take Will Smith, I was thinking possibly Travis Darno, maybe JT Realmuto or Wilson Contreras, but I think I like Smith's numbers a little bit better over a bunch. Two home runs, 11 RBIs, 255 bang average isn't really too much to gawk at. I'll take a respectable 364 OBP, 447 slugging, 810 OPS, OPS plus of 136, possibly the second best catcher 
all year in baseball right now, but Will Smith rounds out my team of the month for April. Tony, you have the baton. Finish it out. All right. I'll rattle this off pretty quickly as well. I've only got two picks left. I'll start it with my shortstop, who I originally was going to take Francisco Lindor. He was pretty much penciled in as the guy for me. But then I remembered baseball's leader in hits is a shortstop, and his name is Xander Bogarts. Again, like Machado, just really hasn't been talked about enough. His slash line goes 375, 419, 500. That is a 919 uh, OPS, good for a 165 OPS plus. Like I said, he leads baseball, or excuse me, at least the American League, with 30 hits. Hunting defense a little bit to take Xander Bogarts over Lindor. I believe Lindor has a couple more points of war, but it's inconsequential when Bogarts' bat has been that much better. His OBP almost laps him. So Lindor's been good, but I think Bogarts has just been a little bit better. Now for my closer, I'm going to take the guy that I guarantee Tom was like your 1B to haters 1A, Jordan Romano. Yep. Now... The Toronto closer has, I think, by far been the most worked closer so far in baseball this year. His innings pitched, granted they're not astronomical yet, he's gotten up to 11 and a third, but he has accrued a league-leading 10 saves already in April. The game's finished at 12, also leads Major League Baseball. He's got an ERA plus of 241. Granted, he did blow one save, I believe it was against the Astros, which prevented him from a perfect 11, but one blown save in 12 games finished this year, the other one I believe was not a save situation, that's pretty damn good. I could see Jordan Romano being like the Kirby Yates on the Padres type closer this year, an under-the-radar name that no one knows too much, but he gets like 40-something saves because of the repeated opportunities. So, Jordan Romano is my pick to close my team, and with that, we can also close this segment. That is April Teams of the Month. Again, keep your eyes peeled for social media graphics for both my team and Tom's team. Be sure to vote on whose is better, even though it's definitely mine. Give Tom's a look, too. We love a good, friendly competition here on the Diamond Duo podcast. So, that all being said, let's move right along into our second trivia question, which I hopefully won't eat my words after trash-talking you a little bit there, Tom. I'm hoping you do, but let's see if you know baseball history. So, pre-show, we were kind of laughing at this, and during the show, I said, hey, you know what, let's not beat a dead horse, but also we kind of need to, considering the Cincinnati Reds have a league-worst 3-19 and record that needs to be stated again. One of the worst seasons I've ever seen in baseball history to start a whole entire calendar month. Tony, what is the worst record? to start a season in a calendar month in baseball history, and which team performed that? So who had the worst start to the season, basically, in, in a one-month span? Yes. Okay, okay. A few teams popped into my head. I'm thinking the 03 Tigers, I'm thinking the 62 Mets, and for some- Oh, no! Wait a second. I know the Orioles at one point lost like 20-something straight games. And it was weird. It was with, not Brooks Robinson, it was with Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray on the team. And yet they lost 20-something straight. I'm going to gander a guess. This is a total shot in the dark, by the way. Or by total shot in the dark, I mean a vague memory I had. I'm going to say, I think it was the 88 Orioles, and they lost 22 in a row. 
Wow. You were no way. nearly, nearly oh. dead on. You are correct with the team. They lost 21 in oh. a row. You were a game off. That 3-19, and 19, if you add that, that gets you 22. That was there to slightly throw you off with the record. But I am going to give you the full credit for that because you got that. You aced that question. They also had Fred Lynn on that team, by the way. They finished the oh year 55-106. and 106. Um, Still not the worst in MLB history. Of course, I believe that is the Detroit Tigers of 2003 that might sport that. I'm also thinking of the Cleveland Spiders from long, long ago, but I think Tony's about to correct me. The Tigers are actually the second worst. The expansion Mets lost one more game than they did. I believe it was 62 and 120, something like that. Or not 62, 42 and 120. Yeah, there you go. That makes sense. And I believe that was the team you were alluding to. I was hoping you would lean on one of those two teams to get you through the segment, but obviously you were smarter than that. So congratulations. You aced that question. I don't know how many (laughs) aces we've had on this uh, show before. I know we've had a few, including when we both gave each other the same exact trivia question, but... um, (laughs) That was fantastic. That that was an epic moment. I'm I'm pumped for that. I think I saw a YouTube video about this team like a while. I forget who posted it, but it was just depressing. And knowing that they had two future Hall of Famers on their team, and something correct me if I'm wrong, weren't they managed by Frank Robinson? I will confirm I, that if you in even know that. One second. I I know they were at one point. I know Frank Robinson also managed the Nationals at one point. I don't know if that's the case. Let me uh confirm. I'm Cal looking Lincoln them up, too, because I'm curious. was on the team. Uh, let's see. They were managed, yes, by Frank Robinson, and actually Cal Ripken Sr. managed the first six wow. games. He got canned, and then Frank Robinson took over. That's impressive. You get Frank Robinson, one of the best baseball players ever, to manage you, in to be your second manager, and you still lose 100 games. That's <laughs> That's sad. Oh, man, but... God damn, I am hyped about that. That was the biggest eureka moment I've ever had on this trivia segment. God damn, I'm patting myself on the back because it's not getting better than that. <laughs> Next week, I guarantee Editor Tony's going to have to cut out swaths of silence, me trying to think up an answer. Well, we'll see if future Tom can actually remember to write down a trivia question in a timely manner and not try and do it <laughs> as we're prepping for the show tonight. Because that is crucial to it too. I will try and come up with a harder question next week. I always say that, and it usually, well, sometimes it happens. I could go really dickish, but I don't think I'm going to go that route. That would be too unfair. Or would it? There's still that Nestor Cortez question. Oh my god, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about Nestor Cortez. I could have put him <laughs> on my team for uh, Player of the Month, but Pablo Lopez honestly had the better month. So at any rate, moving on to our final segment of the show, and this is probably going to be quick because it's kind of a short tale of two sides of the coin almost, Um, and that's of course the closer, the way we like to close out the show. Now we don't have anything overly interesting for this, but we are going to revisit the New York Mets combined no-hitter, their second in franchise history, technically their only no-hitter in franchise history, if you want to count that uh, Carlos Beltran hit being a fair ball in Johan Santana's, but the MLB does count that as a no-hitter, so I will digress. Also, I want Johan Santana to have a no-hitter on his career. We are going back to that game where two situations arise. 
or arose. I don't know proper grammar, obviously. So I'm going to let Tony take it for the first half, and then I will explain what kind of happened to me in the second half. So, ladies and gentlemen out there, if you know the Mets scoreboard op who worked Friday, April the 29th, during that no-hitter game, please tell him he needs a raise. Please, oh please, just like, give him a high five, just give him a hug, like, buy him some lunch, because the stunt he pulled when our dear friend of the show, Nick Castellanos, came to the plate was just immaculate. What the sign actually said, I'm going to pull it up really quick because I sent it in a group chat to Tom and friend of the show, Nicolette, because I think I actually said, someone give this guy a raise. I think those were exact words. Yeah. (laughs) So the scoreboard read, and I quote, Nick Castellanos, no deep drives to left, dot, 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 yet. (laughs) All three home runs hit this season have gone to center field or right field. Whoever made that graphic, you have amazing taste in baseball (laughs) meme lore, because I don't need to explain to you why that's funny. We have an entire segment of our show dedicated to why deep drives to the left are funny. Ironically enough, he didn't hit one that game either. No one on the Phillies did. (laughs) I just thought it was something funny. I saw it on Twitter. I didn't see it at the game, obviously. They didn't show it on the broadcast. Though that would have been hilarious. Imagine Gary Cohen making note of that. (laughs) He'll throw, he'll like put it up his sleeve and be like, I'll use this at some point. (laughs) Coming back from commercial, we just talk about it. (laughs) So that's my side of the story. Again, like Tom said, nothing earth shattering, just, huh, that's funny. But something else happened that day that Tom. I believe you are best fit to divulge to our audience. Yes. So if you haven't heard the colloquial term, bad luck Bauer, essentially that was my uh, Twitter name for a while because I would sometimes intentionally, but most times not because it wouldn't work if I tried to do it intentionally, would tweet something and then the exact opposite would happen in a matter of minutes. For example... Trevor Bauer, remember him when he was throwing a no-hitter, I believe, with the Dodgers, or maybe it was with the Reds in the shortened season? I said, I said he was in the eighth inning of throwing a no-hitter, and I said something along the lines on Twitter of, if he throws a no-hitter, I will buy his jersey. And literally two minutes after I hit send on that tweet, his no-hitter was immediately broken up. So stuff like that has happened to me. Many a many of time on Twitter, and it is hilarious, and that's why I dubbed myself Bad Luck Bauer for a while. I've since taken it away because uh, that has kind of come and gone, and now I have much better luck when it comes to Twitter. However, I did try and resurrect that term the other night with the Mets game because I'm at work, and I'm like, you know what? Wouldn't it be funny if I kind of brought Bad Luck Bauer back against the Mets because Edwin Diaz is about to take the mound in the ninth inning? And honestly, I didn't even think I needed to even tweet out anything that would try and jinx the Mets, because I honestly thought Edwin Diaz would blow it up somehow. It'd be a deep drive into, like, the outfield, and then he'd raise his arm like it's up in the air, and then it would go over the fence. I felt like something like that would happen. So I tried to jinx the Mets, something along the lines of, you know, they're debuting the black jerseys tonight, and they're throwing a no-hitter right now. Isn't that just, like, divine, like, intervention? Something like that. It wasn't those exact words, but it was along those lines. Uh, Needless to say, I failed miserably. 
and Edwin Diaz looked like Jesus Christ himself on the mound that night. Uh, his slider was really working, and he was he mowed down the Phillies hitters that hard of the lineup so hard that night. So, yeah. Long story short, I can't intentionally bad luck Bauer people. It just happens naturally, and usually it's to my dismay because it usually works against me somehow. I mean, I was originally putting in those quotes something like, oh, the rise of good luck Bauer. You point something out that could happen, and then it happens. But, <laughs> I don't know, I thought bad luck bowering yourself would have been funnier. So, well, I mean, technically, congratulations. I mean, technically I did, because it didn't come true. Like, I wanted that no-hitter to not go off, just because I wanted to do it out of spite that night. I was feeling really devilish. <laughs> and uh, I tried to make that happen, and it didn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's kind of... It, it kind. I don't know where I'm going with this. The Uno reverse gods put one on me. Well, congratulations, Tom. You are now principally responsible for the Mets peeing etched in no-hitter history for the second time. But first, if you count the Carlos Beltran hit, like you said earlier. But just some fun happenings around this Met game. Yet another reason for us to talk about the Mets, I guess. Oh, man. But, Tom... We have been talking for quite a bit. What say we call episode 25 closed as of now? That's a weird way of putting it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, Tony. It's 11 o'clock at night. I've been up since 4.15 in the morning, so I kind of want to go to sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. That case, let's fast track it right to the outro. Thank you, everybody, so, so much for listening to episode 25, the quarter centennial episode of the Diamond Duo podcast. Is that a phrase? It is now. We invite you to, again, go follow us on social media, the Diamond Duo podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duo pod on Twitter for more show-related content. Thank you again so much for tuning in. We look forward to hearing you tune in next week same time same place episode 26 we'll see you then folks thanks for listening